It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Diversion Audio A note. This episode contains descriptions of violence that may be disturbing for some audiences. Please take care in listening. This series is based on historical characters and real events. Some dialogue has been imagined for dramatic purposes when no primary source material is available. Virginia Hall's life had changed again. She was back in occupied France, but she was no longer working for the British. She was an agent of the OSS, America's first independent intelligence agency, the forerunner of the CIA. Virginia was living in the Cone farmhouse of a respected resistance leader named Colonel Vessereau. She was spending the majority of her existence in disguise as an old woman, decked out in multiple wool skirts, makeshift prosthetics, and dyed gray hair, all the while constantly walking by wanted posters stapled around town with sketches of the limping lady. But this new life promised Virginia something she'd been waiting for since she'd had to flee France almost 18 months earlier, the opportunity to take the fight directly to the Nazis. After making initial contact, Colonel Vessero got straight to the point with his newest operative. I can't lie to you, Virginia. The Marquis are spirited, but they've got no idea what they're doing out there. They need structure. The Maquis was a new faction of French, British, and German freedom fighters. I called them ragtag in the last episode. They were scrappy, guerrilla warfare fighters who could blend in with the French citizenry and sabotage German trains, trucks, and tanks using weapons airdropped by the British. What actions have they been engaged in? The Cone faction are run, occasional ambushes on wandering German forces. But our sizes are growing too large. It's good we have more men joining the resistance. But we're now in a difficult position. If we're too large, we attract attention. We'll never build an army big enough to beat back the Nazis. And we don't have the food or weapons to supply our current stock. The sad truth of the matter is, we work better in the shadows, and more men shrink our cover. How many? Uh, Just over a hundred now. Split them up. Arrange about 25 in each group, 
train them and lead them separately. I don't know anyone who could lead the other groups while I'm off training each other. <laughs> yes, Colonel. You do. I'm Stephen Talty, and from Diversion, this is Good Assassins Season 2. Being killed would be the easy part. Being tortured would be the hard part. Our intel suggests she is behind many of the prison bricks all over the country. She is dangerous. So sabotage plus a little espionage, paramilitary operations make things blow up. A message for Captain Barbie. I believe I have found the nest of the limping lady. Episode 9, Agents of Sabotage. In May of 1944, Virginia had split Colonel Vessero's Maki faction into smaller groups of 25 fighters each, allowing them to continue working in secret without attracting attention from the Nazis. The Maki were ecstatic to be led by a real secret agent, though they were slightly put off by the sight of Virginia in disguise as an elderly, limping woman. But as Brad Catling, Virginia's great-nephew, reminded us when we spoke to him... She had a, a commanding presence. I mean, if she walked in the room, you knew who was in charge immediately. The words that she spoke were inevitabilities. In fact, there was one member of the Maquis that had worked with Virginia who said that she was very strict and very authoritative. And there was one instance where this man said that he had taken a Homeric bollocksing from Virginia because he hadn't done the right thing. In the beginning of her work with the Maquis, Virginia felt it necessary to keep up her cover. After all, she didn't know who could be a defector secretly giving information back to the enemy, and she didn't have time to interrogate them all. She was still haunted by Robert Alesh, the only man who had successfully burned her back in November of 42. Alesh was still out there somewhere, likely still looking for her. And that's another reason why she split the Maquis into smaller groups. She could communicate distinct information to each, and if one group was compromised, the others wouldn't be. Scouting out a rat among 25 men is difficult, but much simpler than among 100. Virginia's first lesson was to teach the Maquis men how to hail parachute drops for supplies. She gave them appropriate times for scheduling, cloudy nights in the middle of the week, as well as a list of code words for specific items. Maggots was the name for anything related to explosive materials. Dough used for demolition items and yeast for incendiaries. Virginia also provided radio codes so they could schedule the drops when they needed them. But this came with a condition. Too many drops scheduled would signal locations and routines to the Nazis. The drops were lifelines to the resistance. If they were abused, the Maquis would be obliterated in a few weeks, and the Allies would lose one of their most important resistance groups. So Virginia counseled the Maquis on how to keep their actions under the radar, literally. She also taught them how to suss out bad intel broadcast by undercover Germans. By this point in time, the Nazis were doing everything in their power to sabotage the growing Maquis line. By late May of 44, French resistors were getting antsy. They'd been told to expect the arrival of the Americans, who were planning their invasion of Europe, but had been given no confirmed timeline. The message was clear. Reinforcements were coming. But the time and day? That was a different, ambiguous story. And every day of waiting saw the Nazis become more and more brutal as they upped their retaliations against the French citizenry. The Germans were expecting the American invasion too, and they wanted to dwindle French forces as much as possible. 
Seeing this escalation, Virginia made the call that the Maquis would halt all major operations for a time. She wanted to attack right before the Americans crossed the border. That way, they could sabotage German equipment and give the Nazis less time to repair or re-strategize. This is London calling in the European News Service of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Every evening, the resistance operatives would huddle around the radio and listen to broadcasts made by the BBC France. They were waiting for the message that the Americans had arrived and the invasion had begun. So most evenings were disappointing, as the notice wasn't given. This is Berlin calling. Berlin calling the American mother arrived from Berlin called, it pays to listen in. Because there's an American girl sitting at the microphone every Tuesday evening at the same time with a few words of truth to her country women back home. Of course, the English didn't rule the airways alone during this period. There was another voice broadcasting, and she was taunting the Allied forces from the safety of Berlin. I'm not on the side of President Roosevelt. I'm not on the side of Roosevelt and his Jewish friends and his British friends. Because I've been brought up to be a 100% American girl, conscious of everything American, conscious of her friends, conscious of her enemies. And the enemies are precisely those people who are fighting against Germany today, and in case you don't know it, indirectly against America too. Her name was Axis Sally, and her goals were simple, to infuriate and demoralize the American troops who were waiting to invade. She had tried time and time again to become an actress of some renown on Broadway and failed every time. That's Richard Lucas. He wrote Axis Sally, the American voice of Nazi Germany, the first biography of Mildred Gillers, also known as Axis Sally. Gillers was born in the United States, but moved to Germany in the 1930s in the hopes of finding fame. She was just languishing until she got to Germany. She found that she was, instead of at the bottom, she was near the top, mixing with people who had some influence in the German film industry. She was also determined to be a success at any cost. In 1940, Gillers got a job at the German State Radio Corporation. As a broadcaster for Reich Radio, she would speak directly to American soldiers fighting abroad and their sweethearts back home. And she would say, I'm speaking to the women of America, all the women of America. Don't you wish that you had your, your husbands home now? Instead, they're off fighting for the Jewish and the British. She would talk to the American fighting men. And she would insinuate that their wives and sweethearts were fooling around behind their back with the four Fs. Her broadcasts became extremely popular. I think they were popular because of the music and because she was playing jazz, which was illegal in Germany. She was playing things that no other person on Berlin radio was able to play. And it was immensely popular with most of the Soldiers said, we never paid any attention to the political content. We just listened to the music. And um, it was kind of a joke to them. Because Gillers remained an American citizen, she was tried as a traitor after the war. She was discovered because she couldn't bear to part with the tape recordings of her broadcasts. A lot of it was her ego, her arrogance, her overwhelming desire to be remembered. At the end of the trial, she was convicted on only one count, and that count was treason. Finally, on June 1st, 1944, at 9 o'clock at night, the broadcast the resistance was waiting for arrived. First, here are some messages for our friends in occupied countries. The long sobs of the violins of autumn. They song no long. It came in the form of a poem written by the famous 19th century French poet Paul Verlaine. The lines, the long sobs of the violins of autumn, were broadcast by the BBC France channel. It was code for The Americans Are Coming. 
The resistance was instructed to remain by their radios and await another broadcast, the second part of the poem. That would signal the 48-hour window in which the Americans would arrive. And then, four days later, on June 5th, the second half of the poem came, wound my heart with a monotonous languor. That was the signal. D-Day was coming. Ladies and gentlemen, we may be approaching a fateful hour. All night long, bulletins have been pouring in from Berlin, claiming that D-Day is here, claiming that the invasion of Western Europe has begun. On June 6, 1944, over 150,000 American, British, and Canadian troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, and led the invasion against the Germans. It was the beginning of the end for the Nazi occupation of France, and is regarded as the turning of the tide for all of World War II. Quickly, here! The tides turning against the Nazis meant it was time for Virginia Hall to get her hands dirty again. Keep your voice down. Speak only when required. Go! While Allied troops were storming the beaches of northwest France, Virginia instructed groups of the Maquis to set bombs on railroad tracks all around Cone, in the center of the country, laying the groundwork for the Allies to continue beating back the German forces. While the Maquis groups split up, Virginia herself decided to chaperone two Frenchmen, Robert and Gilles, on their own excursion. They arrived at their designated location at around midnight and quickly went to work. The tracks led out of Cone about 10 miles into the nearby city of Suri-Prelaire, where the Nazis would need reinforcement if the Allied forces kept pushing forward. Back it in here, under the steel. This is what needs to take the brunt of the explosion. I can't see anything. We need a light. No lights. There are patrols out. Look, out there. Rock in my boots. Take it off for me. I don't want your boots in my lap. Just as Virginia and her men were placing the explosives on the tracks, a two-man Nazi patrol strolled down the other side. We'll find out what happens after the break. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Stephen Talty, host of Good Assassins. The folks that helped me bring you this show have just launched another podcast that we think you'll like. It's called War Queens. Every episode of War Queens tells the story of a fearless, powerful female leader from history. From Elizabeth Tudor and Golda Meir's high-stakes wartime gambles to Angola's Queen Najinga's willingness to shed and occasionally drink blood to defend her kingdom, to Indira Gandhi's war to solve a refugee crisis, and so many more. These are super engrossing stories, told by expert historians in a way that's accessible and interesting. It's great listening. Every episode of War Queens brings you the stories of extraordinary leaders all of them legends. War Queens is out now. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) It wasn't supposed to be this cold, huh? (laughs) You weren't supposed to piss yourself. <laughs> Virginia and her two Maquis operatives, Robert and Gilles, froze as they watched two German patrol guards stroll their way down the train tracks. They had just tied two packs of plastic explosives to the rails, and there was no time to remove them. If the Nazis saw them, there was no doubt the explosives would be discovered and the trio would be shot on sight. We can shoot them now, before they see us. If you shoot, the noise will just bring more guards. It it will give us time to run. And run where? Do you plan to just lead them back to camp? They'll hunt us down like dogs. Do not shoot. (sighs) Alamein. 
Gruppenreiter, Schneefeld dann schreit, wollte in die Grade. As the Nazis approached, Virginia feared the worst. It was practically a certainty that they'd be seen and shot. But as the German soldiers got closer, she noticed both seemed to stumble against the brush. Their mutterings were nonsensical, and she realized they were drunk. Maybe they had a chance. I'm going to throw this. When they turn, roll under that bush. This way. One of the Germans stumbled, the other catching him. In this brief window, Virginia tossed a rock, which clattered on the ground behind the soldiers. As they turned, Virginia and her men managed to roll under nearby shrubbery, covered by the leaves and the darkness. Huh? What was that? It's the Americans! <laughs> <laughs> the invasion has started! <laughs> the Nazis approached the area where Virginia and the others were hiding. Yeah, let them come, huh? They'll eat bullets just as well as the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to see us. Don't shoot the shields. Wait. Uh, do you see that? Huh? There's something down there. Yeah, give me a minute. I don't see anything. Please. You're not getting your promotion tonight, huh? <laughs> the Nazis didn't find them. Virginia let out a sigh of relief. Robert asked her if they should finish setting up the explosives. Virginia was adamant. How else do you expect to win this war? Virginia supervised Robert and Gilles as they finished their work. They tied the pack of explosives to fog signals, two small breakable tubes that were glued to the top of the tracks. The mechanism was a pretty simple one. Once a train rode over and crushed the signals, the plastic explosives would detonate under the track, derailing the train, warping the tracks, and stopping the transport of valuable German supplies. The Maquis wanted to keep the Germans either in the skies, where they'd have to deal with American and British pilots, or on foot where they'd have to congregate in large groups in order to transport supplies. By sabotaging the trains, the resistance could poke holes in major German movements. The next morning, Virginia awoke to good news. The Maquis had sabotaged five separate rail tracks the night before, derailing four trains and obliterating the only feasible pathways for the Germans to move supplies and information around France. With the American invasion quickly advancing from the northwest, the Nazis would have no choice but to retreat. As the mastermind, Virginia's operations helped turn the tide of the war in France. She went on to become a major player in an astounding 571 rail sabotages that followed, which in turn served to inspire even greater French resistance across the country. Allied armies in Normandy pushed closer tonight to their immediate objectives, the port of Cherbourg and the railway town of Caen, 10 miles inland. An American flying wedge of parachute troops and infantrymen has cut the main line of German communications to Cherbourg by capturing the town of Saint-Mère-Église, 19 miles away, and sweeping on across the main peninsular railway and the highway that runs parallel to it. Virginia's reputation in both the OSS and the Maquis continued to grow. In a month's time, she reported to London that she was now leading a group of 400 Maquis foot soldiers, separated into smaller groups. She continued to radio London with new reports of German movements and intelligence, as well as continuing to schedule parachute drops to arm the growing resistance. She led dozens of sabotage missions, trapping Nazi soldiers with detonations that destroyed bridges, tunnels, and railroads. The Germans were becoming boxed in, supplies dwindling. This was a watershed period for the resistance, they were starting to win. And other resistance leaders were starting to mimic Virginia's plots. 
all over France, different factions of the Maquis were driving the Nazis into embarrassing losses, and at the same time, growing in number. By August, Virginia was leading almost 1,500 Maquis resistance fighters. She had come a long way in a decade, but she still found herself thinking about her old adversary, Robert Alesh. He had receded to the back burner as Virginia took up command of the Maquis, though he consistently plagued her nightmares. If the end of the war was around the corner, she wondered if she'd ever see him again. She wondered if Alesh would be brought to justice and if she'd be the one to do it. More about the fate of Alesh after the break. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. 
every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. After infiltrating Virginia's SOE faction of Heckler in 1942 and turning over many of Virginia's operatives to the SS, Robert Alesh eventually found himself in an uncomfortable predicament. Hello, can you hear me? This is Alesh awaiting orders. I am on day three of radio silence. If the Reich needs me out of Paris, I will need money and transportation. But I have not received any new intel. Please respond. In June of 1944, just days after D-Day, the Germans slowly began to retreat from Paris, leaving the city torn between Allied and Axis forces. Robert Alesh was not an idiot. He could tell that the Germans were losing this war. In a matter of three months, the Nazis were pushed out of the majority of France, beaten back by combined American, British, and French forces. Before the Allies regained control of Paris and liberated the city on August 25, 1944, Alesh quickly escaped the country, traveling back to his original home in Luxembourg. There, nobody knew about his association with the Nazis, and he wasn't considered a criminal, but he still needed a job. It was here he decided to officially return to the seminary, so he forged a letter from the Archbishop of Paris to a Belgian bishop. In it, the fake archbishop spoke highly of Alesh's credentials and even noted that he attempted to rebel against the Germans during the occupation. His deception was successful, and beginning in November 1944, Alesh began work as a chaplain in Brussels. What Alesh didn't know was that Virginia decided to spend her last months as an intelligence agent with OSS writing up a report on Alesh, his movements during the war, as well as his methods and allegiances. It was a damning article that provided a physical description of the man, as well as crediting Alesh with espionage and treason that led to the arrests and deaths of multiple resistance members. Virginia may not have been given the latitude to hunt for Alesh herself, but she refused to let him get away that easily. And just six months later, in May 1945, Robert Alesh was discovered and identified by the Allies in Luxembourg, arrested and sent back to France. They had used Virginia's reporting to track him down. Order, as we hear the verdict. Alesh must have wondered how exactly he'd been caught. He'd been so careful for so long. As the jury reached a consensus, he must have thought back on the limping lady. He had found her, but not captured her. Damaged her network of spies, but was never able to hand her over to his superiors. He must have believed that somehow she had a hand in his arrest. Of course, we know what Alesh didn't. That Virginia's writings painted a damning portrait of a priest who abdicated his divinical duties in order to profit off the Nazi regime. And it was her reporting that did him in. Monsieur le judge... The court finds Robert Alesh guilty of high treason. He turned out to be the worst of all possible characters. That's Brad Catling again, Virginia's grandnephew. She was right. She was right to, to not trust him completely. But unfortunately, the rest of her network did. And, you know, they they paid the price. There was only one resolution for Alesh. He was found guilty of his crimes and sentenced to death. He was executed by firing squad on January 25th, 1949. The end of World War II was indeed around the corner. The Allies continued to advance. The German forces in the East fell to a hellish Russian winter 
and on April 30th, 1945, the German radio has just announced that Hitler is dead. Adolf Hitler committed suicide in a Berlin bunker. Now we're breaking into our programs for the second time tonight, this time with some splendid news from Moscow. Berlin has fallen. Eight days later, Germany surrendered to the Allied powers. The world will note that the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. The Americans would go on to drop two atomic bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August 6th and 8th, killing over 100,000 people. Exactly what that cloud looked like, I do not suppose any words will ever describe. Unlike any other phenomenon the world has ever seen, it was possessed of some diabolical activity, as though it were a horrible form of life. Just days later, the president announced at 7 p.m. today the unconditional and quote, an unqualified surrender of the Japanese. And then, finally, on September 2nd, 1945, World War II officially ended. This is the NBC mobile unit in the heart center and the pulsing focus of a joyous nation, a Times Square in New York City. And look uptown over a foaming, seething, writhing mass of faces Back in May of 1945, Virginia Hall had returned to Paris to take stock of the resistance. She discovered that many of her friends and associates hadn't survived. Some had been executed on site by the Nazis. Others were worked to death in concentration camps and some disappeared without a trace. Dr. Rousset, however, was not among the fatalities. He had survived both the Friend prison and then 18 horrible months in Buchenwald and reunited with Virginia during her time in the city. Virginia realized that even if the war in Europe was going to end, there was still a lot of work to be done, bringing justice to the surviving Nazis. Just as she did with Robert Alesch, Virginia wrote up multiple reports with regards to what she saw during her time with both Britain's SOE and the American Office of Strategic Services. Her reports named multiple Nazis and spies and would be instrumental in their respective arrests and trials. When you think of a trailblazer, she absolutely embodies it. It's someone who was willing to defy all convention. She broke so many barriers, and I think she... She just embodies that selfless sacrifice, that sense of mission that is, to that extreme, I think is, is fairly rare. She did it because she thought she was fundamentally righting a wrong. That's Karen Schaefer, a former CIA operative we heard from in episode six. Schaefer sees Virginia as a huge inspiration, a key figure in the history of intelligence. And in fact, when Schaefer retired in 2019, she was given a portrait of Virginia. There could not be a more incredibly thoughtful retirement gift. Putting me even in the same planet with Virginia Hall is about as good as it gets. You know when bands practice, like marching bands practice, the conductor is standing on the platform? Brad Catling, Virginia's great nephew, it seems to me that Virginia saw the world that way. She saw the big picture as well as the infinite details and was able to react within those and make really good decisions. On May 12, 1945, in a now declassified memorandum to President Harry Truman, OSS Director William J. Donovan wrote, Miss Virginia Hall, an American civilian working for this agency in the European Theater of Operations has been awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for extraordinary heroism in connection with military operations against the enemy. We understand that Ms. Hall is the first civilian woman in this war to receive the Distinguished Service Cross. Despite the fact that she was well known to the Gestapo, Miss Hall voluntarily returned to France in March 1944 
to assist in sabotage operations against the Germans. Through her courage and physical endurance, even though she had previously lost a leg in an accident, Miss Hall succeeded in organizing, arming, and training French resistance forces, which took part in many engagements with the enemy, and a number of acts of sabotage, resulting in the demolition of many bridges, the destruction of a number of supply trains, and the disruption of enemy communications. Inasmuch as an award of this kind has not been previously made during the present war, you may wish to make the presentation personally. Ever the pragmatist, Virginia was only willing to accept the prestigious Distinguished Service Cross once the fanfare around it died down. She refused to distract from honoring the thousands of lives that were lost in pursuit of stopping the Germans. Virginia retired from the OSS shortly after, on September 28, 1945. She would then go on to work for the USA's newly formed Central Intelligence Agency in 1947, as well as the Special Activities Division. But she was never able to get along with her superiors, who seemed to undervalue the work she'd done in the war. In 1957, Virginia married Frenchman Paul Guayot, an agent she had met in her OSS days and finally retired in 1966. Of course, she would have continued on had she not reached the mandatory retirement age of 60. Virginia and Paul eventually moved to a farm in Barnesville, Maryland, where she lived out the rest of her days until she passed away in 1982. It's impossible to state the historical importance of Virginia Hall. She was an exceptional secret agent and one of the most important spies in American history. It's believed that through her hands-on work, she saved thousands of lives across Europe and was an instrumental figure in defeating the Nazis. The language employed in the official Distinguished Service Cross citation notes, Working in a region infested with enemy troops and continually at the risk of capture, torture, and death, Miss Hall displayed rare courage, perseverance, and ingenuity. Her efforts contributed materially to the successful operations of the resistance forces in support of the Allied Expeditionary Forces in the liberation of France. How do we define our heroes? Through their work, their beliefs, their sacrifices? Virginia Hall was not just a spy. She existed as a beacon of determination and persistence in the face of fascism. At every turn, Virginia continued to fight, to live undercover in uncomfortable, even hellish circumstances, all to rid our world of an epidemic that wiped out millions of lives. Virginia refused to accept limits placed on her by others. She battled sexism, ableism, and ageism throughout her career. And she still made for herself an identity, not out of ego, but of service. She is the very definition of a hero. Coming up on the next episode of Good Assassins. They took everything out they could. They start making fires in the synagogues. Well, when this news got back to Goebbels and to Hitler, they... Blue fuse. At least that's what most people believed for more than 70 years. But in 2016, Armin Führer, the German journalist we spoke to, made an amazing discovery. If you have any questions for us about Good Assassins, If you're curious about some aspect of Virginia Hall's story or have any comments on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at goodassassins at diversionaudio.com. Make sure you spell assassins correctly. Again, that's goodassassins at diversionaudio.com. We'll try to answer your questions on a future episode. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at diversionpods. Good Assassins is a production of Diversion Audio in association with iHeart Podcasts. This season is hosted by Stephen Talty and written by C.D. Carpenter. Produced and directed by Kevin Thompson for Real Jetpacks Productions. 
Story editing by Jacob Bronstein, with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Additional research and reporting by Sophie McNulty. Theme music by Tyler Cash. Featuring the voices of Michaela Iscardo, Rafael Corkill, Lena Klingeman, John Pierkis, Andrew Polk, Orla Cassidy, Manuel Falciano, Sean Gormley, Matthew Ament, and Steve Routman. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Paul Goodrich. Sound editing by Justin Kilpatrick. Executive producers Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, and Scott Waxman for Diversion Audio. Diversion Audio. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.